go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. Thank you, worship team. Well, I'm Adrian. I'm glad to be here. Hope you guys have had a, a great morning so far. We're going to uh, kind of continue in our, our series in Mark. And before we get there, uh, if you're a fusion age, if you're part of the fusion youth group, you can be excused to, to go to your, your class. But we're, we're starting or continuing in the series in Mark. And as I was kind of preparing the, the message, it, it kind of, I was thinking about this and, and it kind of struck me that, that we all have something in common, right? We, we all come from different backgrounds, maybe different cultures, different eras, different, I mean, grew up on different music, you know, went to different schools. So there's, there's all these different things about us that might be a little bit different, but, but we have one thing in common, and that's the fact that we all come from a family, and we all come from a family that has some kind of dysfunction. You know, my, my parents were uh, loving, godly parents, um, and they raised six kids, right, there was a lot of dysfunction in our house, right? Dysfunction times six and, and sometimes times eight. But it's just, it's just how it is, right? Our families um, have some kind of dysfunction and some families more than others, but dysfunction nonetheless because we all are imperfect people. And because of that, our families are imperfect and, and oftentimes dysfunctional. Well, today, as we get into this message, we're going to be getting a glimpse of a little bit of the dysfunction of Jesus's earthly family. But by the end of the message, what I'm hoping that we'll find out is, is really how we can all become a part of God's family. And so we've titled this sermon message, Kingdom Family. Because when we put our trust in Jesus, we get to become part of, of God's family. Now, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. The verses that we're going to be going over today, they're actually split apart by the message that we had last week. You know, that message last week was on the, the unforgivable sin. And uh, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Mark has stuck kind of what we are going to go through today, kind of saddled it in between that last message. And I, I think he did it because he wants to give us some contrast, right? You've got the unforgivable sin, the, the rejection of Jesus Christ. And when you reject Jesus Christ, you don't accept him as your Lord and Savior. You're, you're eternally separated from God. No relationship from God or no relationship with God. But when you put your trust in Jesus, you're welcomed into his family. And I think we'll see by the end of this message that you're welcomed to experience a relationship, the exact opposite of being separated from God from forever, but to experiencing a relationship with God like none you've ever experienced in your life before. And so we're going to jump into the, the message today, and we start in verse 20 of chapter 3. One time, Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. Soon, he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. 
When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Now, now if you remember, Jesus has been traveling around, right? He's been traveling around, and anywhere Jesus goes, a, a, a crowd of people seems to find him. Right, he's been, he's been healing people. He's been doing these miraculous things and, and people are, are just blown away and they want to touch him, right? They want to get close to Jesus. If you remember what it, it said in Mark chapter 3, verse 10, it says, he had healed many people that day. So all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. Well, this same thing has continued to happen and, and where Jesus goes, there's a crowd. And it, it, you know, it kind of reminds me of a story I heard a little while ago about a concert. Now, I, I don't care for concerts myself. I think they're a little too crowded. I don't like you know, being bunched up in a crowd. And, but what I, I, what I heard in the story was that um, you know, people had gotten so excited at this concert that they began to push forward towards the stage. And what was happening is, obviously, the people that are on the front of the, you know, at the, in front of the stage, they usually have these gates set up to prevent people from getting on stage. And what was happening is people were being crushed against these, these bars that were separating the, the stage from the crowds. And, you know, luckily, the, the artist was, was wise enough to, to kind of stop his performance and, and get some help for the people that were being crushed. But, but this is kind of the thing that I'm imagining is happening. When we, we hear about Jesus doing these miraculous things, I mean, I don't know about you, but, but I've never seen a paralyzed man told to get up and, and, and been watching him for years. And then he's told to get up and you see him stand up and, and walk and leave. You know, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that people were seeing as Jesus is, is doing these miracles and casting out demons. And so the crowds are pressing in and trying to see Jesus. People trying to be healed. You know, it's, um, and when Jesus's family kind of hears about this, 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 this thing that's going on, how people are traveling from all areas of the region to, to find Jesus and to, to see him and to touch him and to be healed, his family decides that, that, that they need to do something. You know, like, what is, what is Jesus doing? What's, what's going on? You know, and, and so they're concerned. And, and this is what we're reading here. They're concerned that, hey, we need to step in and, and stop this. Jesus is getting out of control, right? I mean, and, and think about it. Think about what, what Jesus is doing, right? Think about the, the political and the religious climate of the, of the times and, and what Jesus is doing. He's, he's going around, not only is he healing people, right? He, he's going around saying that, that, that he's bringing good news, right? That he's, he's bringing good news. He's a teacher, bringing good news. But he's also saying that he's bringing in a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. Now, Israel is currently under the rule of the Roman Empire, right? The, the Roman Empire was used to taking over kingdoms. They took over people. One of the things that the Roman Empire also got good at was was crushing rebellions. See, oftentimes, uh, people would try to revolt against the Roman Empire after they were taken over. 
and Rome would, would crush the revolt. Not only is there the, the Roman Empire, and, and think again, think about your, the, uh, Jesus' family. You know, are they wondering, you know, has, has Jesus caught the attention of Rome? Right? With, with all the people that are traveling to see him, all this commotion that he is causing, it, has he attracted the attention of Rome? Not only was there Rome, but there was a, a man called Herod, self-proclaimed king of the Jews. Now, not many Jews would have claimed him as their king because he was actually, he was actually put in power by the Roman Empire to oversee them. And one thing that uh, Herod was known for was taking out people that would potentially challenge his authority and challenge his rule. And it didn't matter who you were. You could be his wife. You could be a relative. You could even be a priest. And if Herod thought you were challenging his authority, he would kill you. He would take you out. You know, so thinking of of Jesus' family, you know, the thought, you know, has, has Jesus come to Herod's attention? You know, has Jesus come to Herod's attention? And then on top of that, on top of that, you've got the, um, the Jewish priests, right? The, the scribes and the, the Pharisees, you know, the, the people that we've been kind of talking about throughout this series that, that Jesus has been challenging, right? Jesus is, has already been, been challenging them. But, and, and he's traveling around like he's a, he's a teacher, but he's, he's doing things differently than they do, right? He's healing people on the Sabbath. He's, uh, uh, he didn't fast like the other good religious people and religious leaders. He was even teaching differently. You know, and it's interesting that we already learned in, in verse 6 that the Pharisees had already met with supporters of Herod plotting to kill Jesus. Plotting to kill Jesus. You see, what what Jesus was doing is is the same thing that he told us back in verse 15 in chapter 1. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. You know, this talk about, about a new kingdom... The, this, this good news that was challenging the, the religious leaders of the time, right? The, the new kingdom that's challenging the current powers in place. I, I think to give Jesus' family a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, I, I think there was some reason for them to be a little concerned. You know, and so his family catching wind that, you know, this, this attention around Jesus is not settling down but continuing to grow. They approach him. They approach him. And, and it continues in verse 20. Or when he says, they tried to take him away. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. You see that, that word there, trying to take him away, actually means to take control of him. Right? To take custody of him. You see, they thought Jesus was out of his mind because they couldn't understand what he was doing. 
Not only could they not understand what he was doing, but they, they didn't really understand who Jesus was either. They said he was out of his mind. And so they planned this, this intervention, right? They're going to find Jesus. They're going to, you know, somehow convince him or take, you know, get him out of the field. Make him lie low. And, and we continue in verse 31 as they try to do this. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk to them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brother are outside asking for you. I mean, have you ever thought of the idea of, of Jesus actually having a family? I mean, we, we always hear about Mary and Joseph, Right? I, I mean, every Christmas we see their little figurine, you know, at the manger. So we always think of Mary and Joseph. But have, have you ever thought that, that Jesus had brothers and, and, and sisters? You know, a matter of fact, in, in Matthew chapter 13, we actually read that Jesus had four brothers. Right? He had, there were James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And, and it also tells us that he had sisters and it uses it in a plural sense, so it doesn't tell us how many sisters he had or give us their names, but Jesus had sisters as well. Now, can you imagine being the, Jesus being your, your older brother? Can you imagine that? How many, how many in here are the older sibling? Okay. How many have an older sibling? All right. See, that was my place. I was the second oldest. I had an older sister or have an older sister. And, and for some reason, me and my, my sister always seemed to kind of butt heads a little bit. Nothing ever too serious, but even today, we have to be really intentional about our conversations because we just don't always see eye to eye, right? I mean, I, I remember one of the things I used to do when we were little, and she'd be kind of messing with me or, you know, driving me crazy in some way, I'd kind of play this bluff. I would, I would act like, I'm, like I'm, I'm getting about ready to lose control and I'd start breathing real hard, right? Like hyperventilating. <laughs> and then that worked, you know? She'd see that and she'd leave me alone. But can you imagine Jesus being your older brother? I mean, he's perfect, he never does anything wrong, right? Never does anything wrong. When he's, when he's told to do the dishes, he puts all the dishes away, and what does he do? He, he makes sure he loads the dishwasher, right? He doesn't just leave the dishes in the sink. He loads the dishwasher. Perfect, Jesus. Right? When, he, when he's asked to take out the trash, what does he do? He takes out the... Matter of fact, I don't, Jesus probably didn't have to be asked to take out the trash when he saw the trash was full. He actually bagged it up and took it out himself and came back in and did what? Put a new trash bag <laughs> back in the garbage can. Perfect Jesus. Now, I imagine that, that Jesus was probably the most loving brother that you could ever have. Right? I mean, he was perfect. I, I believe Jesus was looking out for the well-being of the people around them more than his own. So he would have been the perfect brother to have, but it would still drive you crazy. Right? He always did everything right, 
and you were always off by, by some amount. You were always off, but he was always, always on. You know, I wonder sometimes how many times that they, maybe they heard that, uh, can't you be a little bit more like Jesus? <laughs> you know, it would drive you crazy. You know, now Jesus, in his, in his 30s, right, a, a grown man, you know, and, and now it, it seems from maybe his, his siblings' perspective, now it kind of seems like Jesus is shirking his responsibilities a little bit, right? He, he's not following the family customs of, of, of their culture at that time. You, you see, uh, Joseph, their father, many, many expect that he, was, he had passed away by now. And so what that means is that being the, the firstborn son, you take on the responsibilities of taking care of the family. You take over the family business. You take care of the sisters in the family and your mother. And Jesus is, you know, maybe from their perspective, they're thinking, Jesus is traveling around like, like a teaching rabbi, right? And, and, he's, and he's not even, even following those customs right. Right? So what is he doing? You know, I, I think there's an important lesson to learn here. When we look at, at his family, not understanding how he's living his life. Not understanding the things that he has put as a priority in his life. I think we can understand it. You know, uh, um, and I think there's a lesson that we can learn. You see... God made families, and families are supposed to play an important role in our life, and, and I believe that they do even when they're dysfunctional, right? Our families have influence on us. It's, it's supposed to be a place where, where we can be uh, encouraged, where we can be loved, where we can be supported and, and even defended. But what happens? What happens when your family thinks that you've lost your mind. What happens when your family doesn't get where you're coming from? You see, when we put our trust in Jesus, something happens, right? The Bible tells us that when we put our trust in Jesus, that we're transformed, that we're changed, that we're made into something new, transformed from the inside out. So the way that we lived our lives before, the desires to, to chase after our own desires, those things are dwindling. This is what the Bible tells us. And what's happening is we're being transformed into the image of Christ. Our desires are changing, right? Our, our desires are no longer just to satisfy ourselves, but to honor God by the way that we live our lives. You know, first or second Corinthians says that we are being made more and more like Christ. Not that we're becoming gods, but in the same way that Jesus lived his life with purpose, that new life that, that has been created within us by putting our trust in Jesus is living with purpose. And that purpose is to share the same truth that has transformed our lives 
with other people. Our purpose is to, we, we should have this growing desire to share the good news that changed us with other peoples. And sometimes this can be confusing to our family. Right? Sometimes this can be confusing to our, our family. And maybe you, we, you grew up in a family that, that is not religious. And so it's going to be difficult for them maybe to understand the, the transformation that is taking place in you. Maybe you, you grew up in a family or you're from a family that follows a different religion. And it's confusing to them. You know, and although I, I would like to think the best of our families, even in all their dysfunction, I believe most of our families care for us, want the best for us. But sometimes when they begin to see these changes in you that they don't understand, sometimes they, maybe you even hear it, they just want you to kind of stop acting weird. You know, maybe you can, maybe you can stop talking about Jesus so much or stop sharing all the stuff you're learning from the Bible. Maybe just kind of go back to the, the way you, you used to be. You know, in some cases, um, in some cases, your families might kind of want nothing to do with you. Because they don't understand what God is doing in your life and in your heart. It makes them uncomfortable and they just don't want anything to do with you. See, but Jesus, when we look at this story, Jesus didn't allow his family to stop him. He didn't allow his family to stop him from sharing that good news that he was sent to share. See, Jesus chooses to fulfill God's purpose in his life rather than follow the will or the desires of his family. And I think that in those situations, we should do the same. So when the word got to Jesus that his parents were outside this house, because remember, they couldn't get in. It was crowded. They couldn't get in, so they had to send word in to Jesus that they were there and they wanted to speak with him. Well, when Jesus got word that his family was there, here's how he responded. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he took those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, you might kind of think from this, this passage here that that, that maybe Jesus is kind of disowning his family, right? Maybe Jesus knows that his family wants to come and kind of get him out of there, get him to quiet down, get him to stop going around and teaching, stop sharing the good news, take him back home and, and run the family business. Maybe, maybe Jesus knows and, and, and it kind of sounds like Maybe he disowned his family. He's not even willing to go out and talk with them. But I, I don't think that that's the case. You see, one of the commandments that Jesus would have been taught as a child was to obey his father and mother. And if Jesus is perfect, which I believe he is, 
He perfectly fulfilled that. Obeyed his father, honored his father and mother. And I also believe that he loved his, his brothers and sisters. I mean, think about the, the scene at the cross, right? When, when Jesus was hanging on the cross and when he was, he was dying, right? Before he gave up his life, what did he do? He looked down at his mother and looked down at one of his disciples and told his disciple that that was now his mother and told his mother that that was now his son. You see, what Jesus was doing is he was fulfilling the role of the eldest son, making sure that his mother was going to be taken care of. See, I believe Jesus loved his family loved his brothers and sisters. And even though in this moment there was contention, even though in this moment his family wanted him to do something else because they didn't understand what he was doing, Jesus loved them. Jesus loved them. And I don't believe that Jesus ended his relationship with them. You know, and I think the proof is actually found in the book of Acts. In the first chapter, it says, They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. You see, this right here was taking place after Jesus had given his life up on the cross. He was, he was buried, and, and three days later, he took up his life, was raised from the dead. And for 40 days, he was appearing to his apostles and to his disciples, those people that were following him. For 40 days, he's appeared to them before he ascended back up into heaven. And before he went back up into heaven, he told them to wait in Jerusalem for him. And here we see a picture of the people that were waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon them and to empower them to share the good news that Jesus was sharing. And we see that Jesus' mother and brothers were part of this group. His mother and brother were part of these people that were following him, his disciples. So if you're rejected by your family, right? If, you're, if your family rejects you for pursuing God, I want to encourage you, follow God. But don't stop loving your family. You see, I believe that, that Jesus loved and honored his family in any way that he could, even though there was contention between them. And I believe that God used that to bring his family to a saving relationship to where they put their trust in Jesus Christ, to where his brothers put their trust in their older brother as Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as God. So let's continue to love and honor our family, even if they don't understand why we're pursuing God love and honor them. But I also want to give you this, this bit of encouragement when we go back to the, the passage about the family. You see, I, I'll say it again, I, I believe that God created this kind of institution of the family. Right in, in Genesis, God said that a man would leave his father and mother and be united to a woman 
right? That they would become one flesh. And I, and I believe that out of that family structure, God's intent was for us to, to, to experience love, intimacy, and connection like, like we can't anywhere else on earth. And even, it happens even in our, the dysfunction that we experience in our families now. I mean, have you ever, think about this. When, when somebody says um, they've got a friend, right? And they're trying to express to you how close of a friendship that they have. They say, they say Jimmy is like my brother. Or Sarah, she's like a sister to me. Why, why do we all know what that means? Right? Is, is we all know what they're saying is that they've got a connection with that person like, like nobody else. Like they're intimately connected with that person, that that person loves them, they love that person, they feel supported, they feel encouragement. Well, I want you to know that this is the kind of relationship that I believe Jesus is telling us that that we can have with him. This is why Jesus says that we can be a part of his family. You see, he's not saying that he doesn't want anything to do with his earthly family. No. I believe what he's doing in this passage when he says, look, these are my mother and brother. Anyone who who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. You see, if you come from a broken home, maybe a home that's full of dysfunction that most people can't even imagine, the love, the compassion, the, the support, the encouragement that you were supposed to feel in that home, you can feel it, you can have it in a relationship with God by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. If you were kicked out of your family, Because you put your trust in Jesus Christ, the love, that support, that encouragement that that family was designed to provide you, that connection, that intimacy, you can have it with Jesus Christ by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we get confused in trying to figure out how we we connect how we get to that relationship. Sometimes we think it's by following a bunch of religious rules. You know, sometimes we, we think it's by living a, a perfect life or doing the best we can, living as good of, being as good of a person as we can be. Sometimes we think that works. Sometimes we think it's by joining a specific religious organization or religion. But none of that works. None of that works. Jesus tells us what works right here. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So again, how do we do God's will? For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. So doing the Father's will means that we see Jesus Christ and believe in him and we'll have eternal life and he'll raise us up at the last day. 
See, we get to experience this incredible relationship with God by trusting in Jesus, surrendering our life to Jesus, and living it for him. Will you pray with me? Father, we, we exalt you. And Lord, we give you praise for being a God who loves, for being a God who's invited us into a relationship with you. And Father, my prayer today is, is that, Father, all those who have put their trust in you, Lord Jesus, that you would, you would allow them to experience the, the intimacy that you've promised. And Father, my prayer is also that for those that maybe don't know you, for those who are exploring who you are, Father, that you would reveal yourself to them so they might experience your love and that intimacy with you as well. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.